So if you weren't um, uh, with us uh, last week um, or listening in, we began a series um, looking at the letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it was a, for a bit of histo- history, it was a circular letter written by Paul to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding region. It was, and it was designed to be passed around. And we saw last week how Paul opened the beginning of his letter with some glorious facts of grace, so to speak. What it means to be in Christ is a phrase that Paul used a lot. The fact that we are chosen, you know, we're not here accidentally. God purposed each of us specifically, forgave us fully by his grace so that we are blameless in his sight. And he went on, he said, when you believed, he says you were marked in him, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That means he put something of himself inside us, the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and with us, who reminds our hearts of who God is, who tells us that we are loved, and who counsels us, counsels us through life and all the various decisions and challenges that we face. So that's kind of where we got up to, and that's where we're going to pick it up um, in verse 15. I'm just going to read it. Ephesians 1.15. He writes this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that, we, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There's a lot of words in that, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just want to acknowledge your presence with us here this morning, Father. And Lord, as we just consider some of what Paul was was trying to write to these Ephesians, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts to understand what you're saying to us this morning. Lord, we, 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 we know that there's a lot of words in this, and there's a lot to try and make sense of. And Father, we pray that your wisdom for us today would cut through any confusion, any ambiguity. Father, we, as your people, want to hear from you this morning. Our hearts want to hear from you this morning, Lord, and we want our city um, to be changed because of what you do in us. Amen. So let's just have a quick look at what is, what is Paul praying for them specifically. And don't worry, I'm only going to focus on a few of these verses because that, that, that was a tirade of uh, lots of good stuff. So Paul's prayer tends to focus on that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they would know him better and that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened that they would know the hope to which they're called and the riches of his inheritance. Now when the the biblical usage of heart, it's kind of meaning the whole inward self. Um, It's compromising of the mind as well as the emotion. So the eyes he's talking about, almost like the inner eyes, um, which need to be 
enlightened or opened in order to grasp the truth of God. Now these people that he was writing to were Christians. They knew their stuff, they believed the right stuff, they'd received the Holy Spirit. So what Paul's praying for them isn't that they would receive a second blessing. He's not praying that they'd receive the Holy Spirit for the, for the first time or anything like that. But rather they would appreciate to the fullest extent possible the implications of the blessing that they already had. And so instead Paul's praying for illumination. That they would know in their hearts what their heads already know. So why... If you're anything like me, I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, why is it that our hearts don't respond so often to what our heads cerebrally know already? You know, why is that disconnect? Now, personally, I forget. I get distracted, I get anxious, I get busy or tired, or life gets wearisome, people hurt us, we slip into bitterness. You know, maybe we even get too familiar with it. Maybe church becomes something just religious that we, we go to and and if we're honest, we're a bit bored. And we get numb to what actually the glory of what God made it to be. Either way, whatever it is, the eyes of our hearts, using Paul's language, struggle to see. Now, none of this is because we're not Christians. It's not a salvation issue. But it's because our hearts miss out seeing the fullness of the blessing that he's already given and sacrificed for us. You see, and we're not living the reality of what we already believe, which seems a terrible waste. Now, as a bit of an example for me, believe it or not, preparing sermons is really hard. I find it really hard, especially if I'm tired or I've had a busy week at work. I can read scripture and objectively think it's wonderful. The words of the verses look amazing. I read them, but my heart honestly doesn't move. You know, the weight of God's grace sometimes, um, the quiet moments, I can be moved to tears by it on my own. The Holy Spirit grabs me, I, I see it, I read the words, and I'm, it hits me. Quite honestly, other times, meh. You know, and I'm like, it's powerless. You're like, God, how can I not see this? And I, you know, I end up praying, where God, believe it or not, when you have to write a sermon, you kind of need some help. You know, you've got to say something. So I I'm, I'm find myself praying, I'm like, God, help me see this. The words are here, but my heart can't see it. It doesn't move me, and it's disconnected from my heart and my emotions. And to some extent, I think there's a bit of a reality check, because to, to an extent, this is par of the course. I'm always reminded of those verses in 1 Corinthians 13, right at the end of the famous bit, where Paul says, you know, for now we only see a reflection as in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. So we only see in part now. There'll be a day where we see everything in beautiful, perfect colour forever. But that's not quite yet. And so probably if you had to remember one line of what I'm saying, forget all the rest, it would be, as a Christian, the spiritual battle that you are fighting and that we are fighting is for the sight of your own heart. That is the battle, that is the battle as a Christian, following Jesus is a battle for the sight of your own heart. And like I say, it's not about being a Christian. It's not about being forgiven. It's not attempting good behaviour. You know, Jesus covered all that. The battle will always be one of revelation to stay seeing God. And honestly, it's going to be relentless. This is a battle we will fight for the rest of our lives.
And ironically, and this is probably the tough stuff, is that many of us all too often don't even see the battle we're fighting. We just feel a bit down and a bit miserable and a bit despondent and we get a bit bored. And we actually miss the fact that this is the battle, guys. Now, the ability to see, for our hearts to see, isn't something we can do by our own willpower. It's not about diligence or intelligence. It's the Holy Spirit that grants revelation to our hearts. That's why Paul says he's praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, it, in some translations, it's got the small s for spirit, but it, the John Stott and some of the other guys think like, this, it means the Holy Spirit. You know, it, 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 Essentially, it means the capital S. Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that grants us wisdom and revelation. It's God that reveals himself to our hearts. And it's only through that power of God that we can see his own glory. We can't will ourselves to see the glory of God. It's a gift. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. And actually it has to be that way because he doesn't want us to do anything on our own. We need to be dependent on him for that. I always love the phrase where he says he won't share his glory with another. You know, God, 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 our ability to see him, he is zealous that he's the one that we receive that as a gift, lest we become pride. So, the ability to see God isn't something we can do ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but if you love a bit of YouTube, I love a bit of YouTube, and it'll serve you in de- infinite things. But some of my favorite things, which I end up getting stuck on, you've probably seen. Have you seen the, the videos when you see a child seeing for the first time, you know, we put the glasses on? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you are like, what? They're worth, a, they're worth a quick Google YouTube. Anyway, but what happens is you, you see this child who needs glasses, but has never seen clearly before. Um, and they're a baby, so they can't communicate. And you watch them, and they know the familiar voice of the parent who's cared for them and provided their every need, has been their world, just in their blurry world. And until then, that voice and parent is just part of the blur. And suddenly, you see these glasses be put on them. I mean, they look like goggles. That doesn't matter. And they're not that delighted about it most of the time. But suddenly, what you see after a moment, you see... Suddenly they see a clarity of the eyes and the face that they've never seen before. And they often they cry, or they laugh, or they've been moaning, and suddenly they stop and start, you know, suddenly they see it. And it's impossible for them not to react. Whether they smile, like I say, they cry, because of that brilliant clarity that they suddenly see with. You see, knowledge about God is not the same as revelation of God. Not by the Holy Spirit's standard. You see, revelation is a brilliant clarity. It's, the, it's that sense where it knocks, it knocks the wind out of you, where you feel the weightiness of the Holy Spirit in moments. But you see, when it comes to our hearts, information is not revelation. See, revelation provokes emotion. It doesn't mean it has to be loud or messy or we have to be extroverted, thankfully. Good for me. But it will move you. The revelation of God will move you undoubtedly. And you see, knowing God, I mean really knowing him, will ruin you for the superficial. And you will see the futility of riches and 
you know, pursuing relationships and fame, all the, all the stuff which is just clutter, you'll be ruined for. And you see, revelation isn't a one-time thing. It's, the, it's when Paul talks about keep being filled with the Spirit. It's the, it's the remain in me of John 15. You know, revelation is something, like I said, we are, are going to have to pursue and ask for and wait on God for our whole lives if we're to live the Christian life as fully and as fruitfully. And so, essentially, his message is keep asking. Keep depending. Keep making space in your life for God to speak. You know, practice hearing the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart. And I know life will not make it easy. Like I say, we are distracted, we get fed up, we get bored, we get despondent, we get all kinds of things. We trip ourselves up most of the time, a lot of it's our doing, but there's a spiritual battle out there. It's also why worship is so significant. Now, I'm not a massive, shouldn't confess this, I'm not a massive fan of congregational worship. I don't particularly like singing, but it's also so significant to put your heart in a place where there's adoration happening, where there is words of truth being spoken, where there's a gratitude being expressed. Now, something that did strike me really significantly from this passage was when, when I was reading it was Paul, Paul's earnestness and his strength and longing. You know, he said, I've not stopped giving thanks. I keep asking. And Paul was in prison. You know, he had plenty to feel miserable about, and yet his overwhelming desire was for these believers, most, most of them strangers to him. And his desire was that they'd know God better. Do we have vision for others? You know, do we desire to contend for one another's spirituality and not just our own circumstances when they crop up? Because for me, I read that and I was like, that's a miracle. I mean, he's in prison. He's got entire legitimacy to feel a bit miserable. A bit, and he's... His longing and his prayer life is longing for these strangers in Ephesus. See, by nature, we are preoccupied with ourselves. But you see, the revelation of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit always draw that out of us and towards himself and a heart for others. John Stott, in his commentary on these verses, said, It is impossible to be in Christ and not to find oneself drawn to him in trust and to his people in love. You know, that is the impulse of revelation. It will never be for you. It is for you, but it's, it goes much further than you. And you see, the power of God was alive in Paul's heart to the extent that he had a capacity to see beyond his own circumstance. And I'm not highlighting that as let's all be like Paul and try and care for other people. No, it's more to marvel at the power of what the power of God can accomplish in a human heart when it has a revelation of God. And you see, when we see God, when the eyes of our hearts open more widely, we see the kingdom of God and we become the kingdom of God. We, we are, it is how it's built. It's how our city will be changed. Is when we put ourselves in a position of, of, of living the revelation of God and we will not have to try and get busy organizing things. It will, the kingdom will happen. It's not like... It's not about clothes banks and food banks and they're all great stuff, but that is not the thing, is not the king, that's not the thing that will transform our city. It's when we as a church get serious about receiving regularly, together, individually, corporately, the revelation of God for us and for our city. Try not to hear what I'm not saying, if that makes sense, but I'll trust you. And just as we probably come into land a little bit, my... Tell uh, story time. 
So I, my grandpa died about 10 years ago now. Uh, but he definitely left with us a legacy of faith that I'm incredibly grateful for. And to be honest, he led a fairly colourful, hedonistic life um, before he came to know Jesus and meet my grandma. And, and he, was, he was in the army, he did that kind of stuff, had some affairs with married women, did, 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 his, did his thing. Um, but he came to Jesus, married my grandma, who was the sweetest, most innocent lady ever, um, and he became a probation officer and he worked with young offenders and he essentially ended up discipling these guys and he would have them live with them for periods in uh, the family home with my mum and her uh, two sisters and it was chaotic at points having, having uh, dysfunction in the house and inevitably he shared the love of God with them and some of them would come to know Jesus and would go on to live radically transformed lives, but it wasn't always appreciated by some of their past affiliates. And then one day he came to the door, he must have been about 50, because my mum was a teenager, and a man in a bike helmet was there, and he threw acid in my grandpa's face. And he never saw again. His sight was gone at that point. And instead of... It was a dark time. But the aftermath of that, he forgave. He embraced forgiveness. And he chose that God was enough for him. And he chose gratitude and faithfulness and grace. And when at 90, he eventually, he died of cancer very quickly. In the last week or so, he was drifting in and out of consciousness. He's been in the dark for 40 years. And at the very end, he just simply said, I'm going now. And he just said, thank you, Father. And I've no doubt he had moments that were very, well, I know they had some tough times. Adjusting. My grandma had never written a check. She'd never driven a car. She had three, you know, four teenagers at home. Um, but ultimately, my grandpa yielded to God's faithfulness and his greater purpose and I must have been about 28 when he died. I'm now 39, so. And I never heard a single complaint from him. I never heard a bitter word about what had happened to him or the injustice of it. And he always laughed and he joked around more than any of my other grandparents did. And he spent, like I say, 40 years of his life in the dark. He never saw any of his 15 grandchildren. Uh, but spiritually, he, he lived a, a life of full sight and colour. And for me, it was, a, it was a real testimony to the power of the revelation of God, that knowing and seeing God in his heart was his real, all-sufficient, all-sustaining joy that surpassed physical sight that I bet none of us could really believe would be possible. But that's the power of revelation. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a, a life of joy capable of overcoming every circumstance. And so when God opens the eyes of our hearts, we can know peace, we can know deep joy and hope despite the struggles. The seeing life knows what it is to hear that still small voice inside your heart telling you that you are loved more deeply than you can ever comprehend and that silences those voices which would say anything to the contrary. So I think the band is just going to come up and we'll just uh, do some...
waiting. And now some of us have, you know, some of us, if we're really honest, some of us have been worn down and are weary by circumstances. Maybe others of us, like I said, are honest if we've come a bit bored. Either because church has become religious and over-familiar, or we feel more drawn towards other things. You know, Jesus is attractive on paper, but doesn't move us particularly very much of the time. I think I'm always wrestling, God, I don't have enough appetite for you. But deep down, I know I want to. It's that kind of, I want to love you, I don't feel it. And often, we live in that kind of slightly dissatisfying half-light. But the revelation of God has so much more for us. The Holy Spirit has revelation to remind us of a lot more often. And the truth is we are powerless to muster it. You know, we cannot muster the revelation of God. It has to be received. And that's why I don't want us to be a church where the the Holy Spirit is, we're familiar with him, but he's not welcomed very often. You know, like we can be very comfortable with it. It's not weird, but actually most, we all kind of hold him at social distance arms length for whatever reason. So I think we should just wait for it. How, Naomi, got, how long have we got, Naomi? We're okay, good. Why don't we just stand and we're just going to wait on the, the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. And we're going to believe that actually he has a, he wants to give us a revelation, a re-revelation of, of himself and not, not bring too much of our own expectations or our own assumptions because we're not very good at making time to stop and listen. Let's just pray. Father, we acknowledge your presence, like you always are. But Father, particularly now in this moment, Lord, you know our hearts. You know all, you see all that we can't. You know what each of us need. You know what each of us are bringing. You know our anxieties. You, you know our fears. You know our insecurities. Father, you know our stubborn hearts. And Father, we acknowledge that we can't see you as clearly as we want. And Father, we want, we, but we want to see. Father, we acknowledge we need your power to see. Holy Spirit, we wait. We welcome you to speak to us. Lord, give our inner eyes the vision of you that they need and want so desperately. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't for the person next to you. The, Holy, the power of the Spirit is for your heart. We wait on you, Lord. Wait. You might, you might see a picture. You just might hear a simple sentence. You might feel a weight. 
you know, let your imagination go. I think the Holy Spirit uses our imaginations quite powerfully. And Father, where we feel bound by distraction, things that have hurt us that we struggle to let go of, Father, we give you permission. We long for you to break those through. Lord, we surrender them. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Father, where the gospel is hidden from us by over-familiarity, Jesus, let your grace be so illuminating. Let God say, I love you more than you can ever imagine. My grace is more sufficient than you can bear to think of. Everything you've done, totally forgiven. There's no judgment in me. There's no, I don't expect more from you than to be a child in my eyes. I can heal your brokenness. I can calm your fears. You're not orphans anymore. You're known. You're liked. Delighted in. And I've got a purpose. Nothing of you is an accident. Nothing of your circumstances are a surprise to me. I, don't, I didn't make a mistake when I called you to myself. You have my undivided attention. <laughs>